Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, let me tell you where we are in Exodus, do a little bit of setup here, and then we'll uh, uh, actually jump into the text together. It is Orphan Sunday. God has a lot to say about the cause of the orphan, um, and we're going to see it here in Exodus. Okay, so just want to, but here's where we are in the story. God has rescued his people uh, from bondage in Egypt and uh, enslavement to Pharaoh. He has brought them in service to himself and delivered them through the Red Sea, and uh, they are now on the way um, to the promised land. Exodus chapter 20, uh, God has given them the what we know is the Ten Commandments. Um, and there's a kind of a section, if you will, here in the um, early 20 chapters of Exodus, 20 through 24, where God is speaking to them about how to live. And then in Exodus 24, they have a big ceremony where the people of God were like, that's what we're doing. We agree. We're in. Sign me up. I'll put my name on the dotted line, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of where we are. Um, and we say that uh, Exodus is about deliverance and the new people of God because God is using this um, to shape his people as they journey together. And um, there's a couple of things that you need to know about the law as, as it is un, uh, unfolding. Number one, uh, God gives it to his people um, and so that they can be a blessing. He blesses his people with the law so that they can be a blessing to the world until the Messiah comes. And so God gives them the law because he knows that this is the best way for these people to live. God is smarter than them. I don't know if that carries forward to 21st century life, but like he was then, seems like maybe just maybe that would be true. So yes, it carries. So God is smart. He knows a better way to live than, uh, than they did. He knows a better way to live than I can come up with on my So he gives this law to bless his people so that they would be a blessing to the nations. The nations would look and they would say, oh man, this is a... Uh, uh, this is the way that uh, uh, it, man, we see wisdom in this. We see justice in this. We see goodness in this. Man, this is a good God. This is a good way um, to live. So the people outside would see those who have God's law. He blesses people so that he'd be a blessing. Just pause here before I finish the thought. Anytime God blesses you, he wants you to be a blessing. You don't need to run down to the store and get the shirt that says hashtag blessed to demonstrate that you are blessed. The way that you demonstrate that you are blessed is you be a blessing. That's how that works. This is throughout the Bible. And what you find is, we don't have time for this now, what you find is the more you are a blessing, the more God will entrust you with blessings so that you continue to be a blessing. Does that make sense to anybody? If it makes sense, go like this. Okay, good. All right, you're with me. Not talking yet, but you're good. Okay. Uh, so, blesses people to be a blessing um, and t to the world until the Messiah comes. And when the Messiah comes, uh, there are um, things about the law um, that uh, were for God's particular people in that moment. And that's, this is the second thing. Uh, he gives these laws to a uh, in a particular moment to a particular people in a particular circumstance. So once the Messiah comes, he says he fulfills the law and uh, this kind of thing. There are specific things um, that God is very clear about how he sets them aside, like uh, some of the dietary restrictions and stuff. Um, in the Old Testament, there were one thing. In the New Testament, he says, look, this is now all fulfilled. You can set that stuff aside. Glory to God, we get to eat bacon. 
Nobody said amen earlier, but now we're talking about bacon. We're like, yes, yes, okay, good. So uh, the law is given to bless his people uh, so that they would be a blessing until the Messiah comes. And just as a reminder, there are things that the law speaks to that carry forward, and there are things that it does not uh, carry forward. And as always, just because the Bible reports something to be true doesn't mean it goes, hey, this is a good plan. Sometimes God uh, uses the people in the scriptures to tell us what not to do, okay? So in light of that, Exodus chapter 21 Uh, Excuse me, chapter 22, verse 21. You ready? You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Amen. Amen. Everybody welcome to Orphan Sunday. We're really glad that... Holy smokes, that was serious, wasn't it? I mean, that is, that's some stuff right there. And so um, here's the deal. I, I want to ask three questions this morning, try to understand what God's saying, and try to understand why he gets so torqued about this, and then how we might um, respond. Those are the three questions. Okay, so first question is, what is God saying? What is God saying? So back in verse 21, uh, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Um, if you're a writer in your Bible or you're a note taker specifically, uh, the word that he uses there, don't wrong him, don't oppress him, it's the word for squeeze. Now there's a funny story in the Bible about Balaam who was a prophet and uh, he uh, was riding on a donkey and an angel stood in front of the donkey and the donkey's like, oh, oh, I don't get this. And it, the Bible says that the, uh, that the donkey actually squeezed Balaam against the wall. Th- this, is, this is the idea that we are between um, a very hard place um, and, and a, excuse me, an unstoppable force and an immovable object. That's kind of where we are. But the, the Bible says specifically that that kind of um, attitude towards the sojourner, you don't want to go there. Those who are uh, different than you, those who are, um, um, I don't know how else to say it, those who are different than you, you do not want to squeeze those people um, who are different than you. That, that's, just, that's just not a good plan. So number two, um, humiliating those who are less fortunate than you. Verse 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And so that word for mistreatment would be humiliation. Over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible um, identifies ways that we are inclined to do this or the world is inclined to do this. Number one, uh, to take advantage of them uh, in some way. Number two, to abuse them. Or number three, to afflict them, put them in your service in some particular capacity. Uh, And the Bible's clear about this. You don't want to do that to these kind of folks. You just don't. Uh, it, it, it frustrates God pretty clear. If, if, I could bring, if I could bring the language forward to 21st century life, it would sound something like this. Don't discriminate and don't be domineering. D- discrimination uh, when different is equal to bad. You don't want to treat people like that. Um, especially when those other people who are different than you are not in the same majority that you feel like you are in. Um, Instead of, instead of uh, wronging the sojourner or oppressing him, we're to welcome them. We're to welcome them. And so our church family, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, has been involved with uh, Houston Welcomes Refugees. We actually got connected with a, a family that uh, was evacuated out of Afghanistan. We've done some good. Like, those are the kinds of people that God wants us to be. And amen to that. Um, but secondly, no domineering. This would be something along the lines of... Uh, 
we forget that we are blessed to be a blessing. And now we find ourselves in a position of authority, of power. We've got some wealth. We've got some privilege. We've got whatever. And instead of using those to be a blessing, we're just like, yes, everybody should come and bow down before me. Don't do that. That's how the Bible is, is saying. He's saying, don't do that. Um, we, we can use it on ourselves. Bad idea. Or we can be a blessing that's the, that is the prompt that God wants us to. Why does he have to say this though? Like why? Because sin is so profoundly sinful. We, our staff is reading a book together. We read it this week uh, in th- this little passage. And it was so right. Sin is so profoundly sinful that it builds in its own justification. So God has to say this stuff out loud to remind us, hey, look, you can't justify your way out of this. You can't make this, I mean, you can try to make this sound good. You can try to make this sound right. You can try to make this sound um, just or whatever. And no, it's not going to happen. God has to remind us not to do these things because we tend um, to justify ourselves uh, in these ways. So uh, over and over and over again, uh, we've talked about this before as a church family, but I just want to highlight there's three A words, God's attitude toward these particular groups. And and on Orphan Sunday, let's say this out loud. God's attitude towards orphans looks like this. Number one, he is their advocate. He is their advocate. So verse 22, don't mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Don't do it. He is their advocate. He is stepping in and saying out loud, hey, don't do this. Uh, Number two, he allies himself with them. Uh, It's here in this passage. It's in plenty of other passages. One of the favorites for me um, is Psalm 27, verse 10. Though mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me in. I don't have a place. Those who should be taking me in are not taking me in. I don't have a place, but the Lord will. The Lord will take me in. He allies himself with them. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew chapter 25. He's telling a parable. And he says, if you've done this to the least of these. Now, if you know this verse, I want you to say the rest of it. If, if he's done you to the least of these, you've done it to, who, what was it? To me, Jesus is saying. I mean, that's red letter material. So Jesus is saying, if you step out and, and, and do these to uh, folks like this, if you've done this to orphans, if you've, if you've been a blessing to them, you're doing it to me. If you have not blessed them, you have not blessed me. So he's allying himself with them. And then thirdly, he acts on their behalf. And I just point back to verse 24. My wrath will burn. And I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I just think it's funny and it's worth saying out loud. Uh, my, my wrath will burn. The, the literal phrase is, my nose gets hot. And I, I don't know, for some reason I think that's funny. But you get the picture, right? God gets red-faced over this stuff. My wrath will burn, and I'll kill you with a sword. And from about here to about right here, that's exactly what happens. Their, their mistreatment and um, lack of fidelity to what God has said does indeed involve... Um, uh, People stepping into their world with incredible violence. He acts on their behalf. Okay, so second question is, why? So that's what? What is he saying? Second question is, why? Why is he so serious? Why is he so serious about this? I mean, his face gets red. There's a sword involved, right? Why is he so serious about this? Two reasons. Number one, uh, he knows 
that people risk forgetting what God has done. Now, back in Exodus chapter 14, which is a mere eight chapters beforehand, this far in my Bible right here, just this many pages, God had delivered them through the Red Sea. And it only took one page for them to start griping. And then, you know, he's laying out these rules so that they will not do the things that the other people around them are doing and that they themselves are prone to do. Uh, It would be something like this. Uh, You're driving along, having a good day, and all of a sudden some uh, really friendly person with red and blue lights is behind you and pulls you over and says, excuse me, sir, uh, do you know what's going on? Uh, Well, no, not exactly, but... You're officer friendly, so I'm just trying to be friendly to you. Uh, 41 in a 30 is not really a good plan, my man. Yes, sir, I understand that. I'm very sorry. I was jamming along to some song, and I just did. Okay, and so I'm going to let you off with a warning. And what do you say? Oh, officer friendly, you are the greatest. Like, uh, yes, yes, thank you so very much. On you go. You pull out of that moment right there. I mean, you're like going 30 on the way, right? I mean, like 30, 31, maybe 32. You're not going to hit 35. You're going to be right there. But how long does it take for you? One day? Three days? One hour? And you're back at 41, right? You have forgotten what has happened. This is, this is the spiritual version of that right there. God... God has delivered them. He has liberated them. He has set them free. He is moving them to the promised land and he is making them a new people. And they risk forgetting what God had done. Look at the, the reason why. Back in verse 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. And then, so that's the command. Look at the reason for it. Here's the ground for it. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Like, You were the very people who did not have a place. You were the people who were afflicted. You were the people who were being squeezed, if you will. You were the people who were being taken advantage of. Don't be like that. You were those things. God delivered you from those things. Don't forget that you were those things and what God did. Don't do it. Don't forget. You had no privilege. You had no standing. You were being taken advantage of. Don't you dare do that to others. My people, God would say, who have experienced my deliverance and are under my leadership and have my law, they cannot act like this. They can't. They are new people. We risk forgetting what God did. But also, and maybe more importantly, we risk forsaking the God who did it. I I do think that if we're not careful, that any number of reasons or rationales or excuses, any number of desires that we have for comfort or ease or pleasure can become our own golden calf. Now, you remember the story from a couple of weeks ago? Hey, we're not sure what happened to Moses. Let's make a golden calf. They take off the earrings and, and uh, Aaron shapes a calf and then he tells Moses, oh, no, I swear it just jumped right out. Listen, folks, it never jumps right out. Typically, it doesn't happen in an instant either. Typically, it's a slow erosion. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves with a golden calf. So we run the risk of forsaking the God who did it. And so when um, 
you and I recognize this kind of spiritual entropy inside of us, we then have to steady ourselves, even discipline ourselves to do other things instead. We cannot risk forsaking the God who did it. And it doesn't take much. When the exploitation reaches a level where they cry out to me, he's not saying they have to cry out to a judge, call 911, uh, cry out to something else. He's not saying they have to file a lawsuit. He's saying when they cry out to me, look, look at what he says in verse 23. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. God will. And he's, he's fired up about it. This is from a different passage in the psalm, Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. Listen to this. Father of the fatherless and defender of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Think about that. The God that we follow, the God who has delivered us, um, has sent us through, if you will, um, the, the sea of death so that we can experience life with him, is leading us to a place. He is the father of the fatherless and the defender of the widows and orphans. That's who God is. And then verse 6, he settles the solitary in a home. Those who don't have a place, those who are disconnected, he gives them a place. He wants people to belong. And so I say that, I highlight to say, this is the kind of God who not only defends, but also does good. This is the kind of God um, that we follow. So how then do we respond? How then do we respond? Um, first thing, we, we, need to, we need to put our eyes in the best places that we can put our eyes because um, we need to resist the temptation to look the other way simply because it makes you uncomfortable. But instead, remind yourself that each person matters. Did anybody encounter someone this week who frustrated you? Anybody? Some of you are more frustrated than others. Some of you just gave me the head nod. Some of you are like, yes, yes. They're two seats down from me as a matter of, yes. Every single person that we encountered this week. Every single one of them is made in God's image and matters. Every single person. Every one of them. And some people, they say, we're talking about resisting the temptation to look away. You're like, hey, you know, this isn't, I mean, I don't know if this is really, like, is this really who we as a church are supposed to be? And what I'm going to tell you here is this is who the church has always been. Because we are the people of God, and God is like this. God's heart is aligned like this. God's heart is, is, uh, has prioritized these kinds of things. The people who follow him then are aligned like this, and has, uh, they prioritize these kind of things. This is from a book. Um, uh, excuse me. Got to flip the page here in my notes. Uh, called Christian Charity in the Ancient Church. Here's, here's the quote. Uh, when we first meet the mention of the uh, adoption and bringing up of foundlings, that is orphans, um, and we get that kind of record in the second and third century, uh, uh, B, uh, excuse me, AD, this work appears not as a novelty, but as one long practice. So kind of from the, we're getting a report two or 300 years later, but the way that they talk about it, they're like, man, we've been doing this for a long time. So from the beginning of the church, these are the kinds of things. That, we, that the church has participated in. 
It is true that the heathen also used to take care of exposed children, but for the purposes of bringing them up as gladiators or prostitutes or to use them in their own service. There have always been people who would uh, abuse or traffic children, always. Here we go. But Christians brought up children whom they took charge of for the Lord and for a respectable and industrious life. From the very beginning, folks, this has been the church because from the very beginning, this has been the heart of God. So we resist the temptation um, to look a different way. We resist the temptation um, to to, uh, uh, kind of make it all about us. Instead, we get to step into that. Secondly, uh, we, we need to resist the temptation to dismiss the situation and simply say this, um, this is for everyone. Just, just like every life matters, every single person matters, this is for everyone. This showed up in the scripture reading just a moment ago in the video, but I just I want to highlight it. James chapter 1, verse 27. It's just going to pop up here. I forgot. Uh, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father. Keep yourself unstained from the world and visit orphans and widows in their distress. The, This is for the church. This is for us. This is for everybody. So this is for everybody. So what then do we, everybody, how do we, everybody, respond? How do we step um, into this? I'll give you a couple of very practical things, okay? Uh, Number one, um, some of us are in conversation with ourselves, with the Lord, or with our spouse to say, are we the people who need to step into foster care? Are we the people who need to step into adoption? Uh, There are families around here who um, have done that before. And if you are in that conversation, uh, whether it be international, like uh, some of uh, us, including my family, or whether it be domestic, like other families in here, um, if if you're in that conversation, either in your head or with the Lord or with your spouse, man, there are resources available here, church people available here who would love to buy your dinner, who would love to have a cup of coffee with you, who'd love for you to sit in their backyard on their back porch because we actually have the two good weeks of weather right now in Houston and have those conversations. So um, in the ballpark, in the ballpark here, just in the state of Texas, 6,100 kids in foster care who are available for adoption. 6,100. Does that feel overwhelming? Folks, there are 7,800 Baptist churches. Just Baptist. We can do something about this. We can do something about this. And if God's prompting you that way, there, there are plenty of conversations to be had. But that, 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 is, that is one way to do that. Um, on a more, uh, even more practical level and on a broader level. So Greg and Shelley are back there with the sanctuary. They have a table back there. I hope you saw it on the way in. And if you haven't, uh, then you can stop by on the way out. I'm counting on you stopping by on the way out. I asked, one, uh, asked them for um, some highlights. Uh, they were kind enough to send over this graphic. And I think they actually may have that on the table. But if not... Um, We'll make sure it gets out. This is a way that the sanctuary, this group, this organization that we have partnered with, um, surrounds, uh, do a wraparound of foster families. Um, you can't read all of that? That's fine. I'm highlighting three. Are you ready? Number one, who likes to cook in here? Several of you do. Who can cook in here? Oh, yeah. Every time a foster kid gets placed with the sanctuary, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the two Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays for two weeks, okay? The two weeks following on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they have a meal train that shows up to help those families. Folks, we're Baptists. We do this stuff in our sleep, yeah? 
Yeah. Feel free um, to sign up for their uh, little plan back there, and you can absolutely uh, talk to them about that. Um, and that, that, is, that is a very uh, easy first step for us uh, to walk um, into this. And like I said, they've been fantastic uh, partners. Uh, secondly, um, they started a thing, and I, I, love, I love this one. Uh, they started a thing called Take My Hand. Um, so it is a uh, kind of a buddy system, big brother, big sister almost system uh, for kids who are placed in foster care um, through the sanctuary. And so um, you can uh, step in and uh, two, three times a month for uh, just a small block of time there. You can step in and just be a friend, take the kid to the park, take them out for ice cream, that kind of thing. Gives the foster family just a moment to breathe and uh, allows the kid to interact with other healthy adults. And so uh, they have 83 kids uh, in foster care as of today. They have seven volunteers for Take My Hand. We can do something about this. Uh, and if you want to get Greg Sharp fired up back there, just ask him about Take My Hand and then give yourself about 15 minutes. Okay. The same training, uh, CPR first aid and background check that goes for that, also then allows you to uh, uh, step into respite care, which many of you have already. Uh, where you can um, uh, be a part of uh, giving um, a foster family, maybe they have to leave town or any number of other things, but you can actually um, work with a foster child overnight. All of that information is going to be back there. Some of you are not at the place. You're just like, man, I, I don't know. I, I can write a check, but I don't know if I can step into this other stuff. They can tell you all about that. All of that's back there. I, I'm saying, kind of putting this out there, and we're giving an outlet here as a church family because this is what's on God's heart. This is how his heart is aligned. If we, the people of God, then align ourselves with his heart, man, look what can happen. We are blessed. Can you say amen to that? Then we get to be a blessing. Story after story in here. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat this. Because there's story after story in here. From this side of the room to that side of the room of people who have stepped up into this, and it's been hard. It's been hard. It's hard. That doesn't mean it's not worth it. And I think most people would say the exact same thing. Most things in life that are worth it carry with them a degree of difficulty. I just want to encourage you to be thinking about what it looks like for you and your family um, to step up into this, whatever level, whatever level you think the Lord leads you to. Um, I know Greg and Shelley would love to have some conversations, and the sanctuary is a great partner. So uh, in light of that, we're going to come to a time of communion. And we're coming, we're actually going to pass the plate to one another, like old school, like 20 months ago, old school. Hey! You almost got as excited about that as the bacon thing a while ago. Like, that's pretty awesome. We're going to pass the plate to one another as a reminder. Listen, the reason we do it this particular way um, on these particular Sundays is because it's a reminder that we get to serve in the name of Jesus one another. This is what we're doing. We're serving one another with the gospel, with the reminder that we were the ones who were distant. We were the ones who were disconnected. We were the ones without a place, and God has taken us in. 
Not because of who we were or not because of even our circumstance, but because of what Jesus has done. He's the one who's taken us in. So if you haven't already, uh, please go ahead and fold up and put up and do the things that you uh, need to do. And we'll prepare here uh, for communion. I want to um, invite you, once you kind of get all that done, the deacons will come forward and be ready to pass this out. And, um, I want to invite you just to take a moment. Just have a minute. Say some things to the Lord that you need to say. For some of you, it may be confession. For some of you, it may be um, you, you need to just uh, offer some things. Man, I've been feeling this. And then we're going to remind ourselves of the gospel. So bow your head. Let's pray. Deacons, if you'll come forward and be ready. And take a moment, church family. You just say what you need to say to the Lord. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered his followers in a room. They were celebrating Passover. He took bread and he broke it. Passed it around and said, you need to eat this. And when you eat it, man, you need to remember. You need to remember this brokenness. Because this brokenness represents my body. They didn't have a clue. But the next day they did. Because the body of Jesus was broken. It was pierced. It was crushed brutally beaten. They saw it. But it was through, it was through that brokenness that they would be made whole. Then he passed the cup around. He said, this is the blood in the new covenant which is shed for you. No longer do you have to relate to to God on the basis of some sacrifice somewhere that somebody else can make. You get to relate to God on the basis of the sacrifice Jesus said that I myself make on your behalf. The Bible says it this way. He offered himself as the sacrifice one time for all time that you and I could be made right, forgiven before God. This is what we come to remember. Would you join me in prayer? Father, now for these moments as we um, celebrate communion, we serve one another in the name of Christ with the reminder of the good news of what you've done for us. Would you make it very fresh for us very fresh. And maybe this is something that marks us. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen.